Remain standing and please turn in your Bibles to Revelation 21, 1 through 8. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 1041. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Calvary family. For those of you that uh, may be new, my name is Johnny, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. Uh, we are, or have been, um, in a very long uh, preaching series on Sunday mornings, um, and uh, Believe it or not, we're coming to the end of it. We're getting there. Uh, we have this morning, we'll look at Revelation 21, as was just read for us, and then Pastor Gerald will finish it out on Christmas Eve. Uh, so we'd love to have you all join us for our Christmas Eve service uh, this week. Um, so we're getting there. The, the series, All Things New, the story of the Bible, and the healing of the world. And so we've gone from... Genesis 1, 1, I think even at the very beginning, I think Gerald had like, I don't know, three sermons for like Genesis 1, 2, and 3 or something like that, and it's like extended into like five, I think, or something like that, and uh, there's just so much good stuff there at the beginning chapters, and so, um, but we've made it, we've made it, um, we're, we're at the end of the story here, I'm excited to look at Revelation 21 this morning. Um, let me just pray one more time before we look at God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we pray this morning as we look at your word that you give us open eyes to see, open ears to hear. And may we leave this morning refreshed in our passion to know and follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I think it is a right uh, for those who are parents uh, to ask their kids the kind of questions or just request for information about their lives uh, that make their children roll their eyes. 
It's just like a right we have as parents to ask our kids for information. Um, and as, as the request is going out, like they already know where it's going and the eyes are already starting to roll. Um, and so we ask these kinds of questions that unfortunately typically are then met with uh, little to no information because um, they know where we're going. And so for my kids, um, that scenario looks like me uh, with them or my wife with them, whether it's just, just with one of them in the car or for whatever reason, we're just with one of them. And uh, we say, uh, tell me all your hopes and dreams. And it's like the impossible request, right? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what are my hopes and dreams? Uh, and so, as I've already said, we get little to no information, and it has just turned into a family joke at this point. So we're actually not going to it with uh, thinking we're going to get any information anymore. Um, and it's just become a family joke. And at one level, it is just that, right? It's, it's just a family joke, and we have fun with each other. And at another level, as, as parents, um, we do actually want to know like what motivates our children? And we have, we have an invested interest in their passions and their longings. We want to know what they're living for. What makes their heart beat? What makes them discouraged about going into a day? What makes them excited about going into a day? And as Christians, we ultimately want our kids to be inspired by the kindness of God. To love God, to receive his love and to love their neighbors as themselves. And so, the Calvary family, I ask you, what are your hopes and dreams? I think your hopes and dreams will be met in the story of Revelation 21. I think when we let ourselves pause and stop and reflect, in the end of the day, we all hope and dream for our world to have a second chance. We long for the wrong to be made right. We hope that our experience in this, what our text calls the first creation, we hope that our experience in this first creation is not the final word. Our experience in this first creation is one of tension between beauty and brokenness. The reality is there is so much beauty in our world. I've had the privilege because I married into a family that loves to go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, and one of uh, my brother-in-law's sister-in-law lived out there for a, a long time. And so it was always a good excuse to, to go out there. And we spent multiple times in the mountains for days. Um, and just, you know, you get to a, a mountain pass. Um, and it's just amazing. It's just amazing to be, you know, 12,000 feet of elevation up and just to get over a pass. And sometimes we made decisions we probably shouldn't have to get there. And you get there and you're like, this is incredible. And it's like... All of us probably have different experiences with it, but for me, it was just like, I feel like I belong here. It's like where I feel right and normal. And just so beautiful, so beautiful. And yet, uh, beauty in our world is consistently met with loss. 
It's the hard reality of our world is that all the good that is given to us is consistently met with loss and grief and wickedness and sorrow. In our text this morning, we see the hopes and dreams of many women and men in the Bible come to fulfillment. And I hope for us as a church family that what we see here in Revelation 21, if not already, will be the fulfillment of our hopes and dreams for this life. The whole story of the Bible and all its complexity is leading to this scene of Revelation 21. And so my main idea this morning is that all creation, or as our text talks about this morning, is the first creation. All creation in her decay and beauty will be made new, including humanity. Creation will be made new by being united to heaven, united with heaven. Heaven and earth will be one. Or as the opening chapters of creation say, the two shall become one. Now I want to clarify, that's the positive way of saying my main idea this morning. The kind of negative way of saying my main idea this morning The aim of the story of the Bible is for heaven and earth to be one. And so, the aim of the story is not that in order to to get heaven, we must eliminate earth. The aim of the story is not, again, that in order to get heaven, we must eliminate earth. I think it is a common misunderstanding that salvation in the Bible is the destruction of the earth or the material life that we live in and experience so that we may go away to a new and different home. That's not the story of the Bible. The hope of the story of the Bible is that heaven and earth become one. That's why Jesus said, pray like this. This was Jesus' hopes and dreams for the world, his prayer. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth, as in a sense, as it already is in heaven. So Jesus' prayer for us daily is heaven, help us. Not heaven, destroy us. Heaven, help us. Heaven, help us. Now, that being said, there are actually probably a lot of good reasons from our experience of life in the first creation I think there are good reasons for us to get the impression that the earth 
and the material need to go. We have seen a lot of bad done on earth. We've heard about a lot of bad done on earth. We've seen ourselves do a lot of bad on earth. And as we have told the story of the Bible over the last year and a half or so, the Bible is, contains intensely tragic stories. Intensely tragic stories. I have, as I have done as a pastor, always reading through the Bible, but for the first time in my life, I have been reading the Bible out loud with people, men and women. And so on Mondays and Fridays, I'm with a group that every Monday and Friday for about 45 minutes, we get on Zoom and we just read the Bible out loud to each other. And, you know, it's one thing to read the Bible to yourself. You can kind of like skip stuff that's like uncomfortable uh, or read fast. But in, in a group of men and women, when you're reading it out loud to each other, there are points of the story where you're like, yeah, I don't know if my kids need to read this part. Like, there are intensely tragic stories in the Bible. And so it can make sense for us to just, in intuition, think, if there is something that likes salvation, it's got to mean getting rid of all this, right? Wrong. Wrong. The reality is the hope of the story of the Bible is that heaven is going to come and restore us. The trajectory of the Bible, the hope of the Bible is not that we go and live somewhere else. The hope of the story of the Bible is that heaven is going to make its home on earth. So God is once and for all at the center of creation. And actually, the story of the Bible, in a beautiful way, gives us little hints that God was never intended intending to give up on creation. How do we read the flood narrative? The flood narrative is a story of recreation. The flood narrative is the world has gone terribly wrong and God doubles down and invests back into giving creation another chance. Even as we get into the prophets, Isaiah specifically talks about the hope of a new creation. Isaiah records in, 60, in chapter 65, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever. And that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And this hope is held out for us in chapter 66 as Isaiah concludes his writings. And if the flood narrative and the promises of the prophets weren't enough to convince us that God was not going to give up on creation. God sent his only son to assume flesh 
and become like us in every respect. God created with his son from all eternity a miracle by creating by the spirit of God life in the womb of young Mary. The life of God assuming flesh. It's what we call the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The miracles of Jesus, well, they obviously display the power of God in Jesus. The focal point of the miracles of Jesus are not primarily to be a power show of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus primarily are to give us hope that the promises of the prophet for new creation are actually still good. And that when the lame will leap like deer and Jesus makes a man lame that to walk again, he's saying new creation is still coming. I will not give up on creation. I will invest myself into its restoration if that's what it takes. And that's what it took. But then, in all the beauty of the word becoming flesh, and all the beauty of God investing himself into the body of a woman, Mary, and the beauty of Mary being able to raise this son of hers to be the king of Israel, as goes with the first creation. Beauty is met with tragedy. Jesus is murdered. Just when God had fully invested himself into creation, the life of which he invested it through was taken away. But the creator God believed what he said when creation was all done. And he said, it is very good. And so as in the first day of new creation, Jesus did not bring himself back from the dead. The Father vindicated the Son, and the Father breathed life back into his Son and brought him back from the dead as the first day of new creation. The resurrection of Jesus was God's full and final commitment and testimony of his investment to our good. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of us being with him in new creation. And so now God restored the body of his son, Jesus, to be human for all of eternity. God has committed to restore creation. So while it is fair, just based on observation of our experiences in this first creation, to wonder 
if salvation means the absolute destruction of the presence of creation. The Bible, the story of the Bible is actually, as Gerald came up with a great title, the healing of the world. The story of the Bible is the healing of creation. And the wonder of it is that it goes right into its deepest tragedy, death. Our experience of this first creation in many ways is full of wonder and beauty. But our experience of the first creation is also a place of deep trouble and pain. Our experience of this first creation is one that has been marked by tears. The tears of loss are so troubling because what we've lost something so good. The tragedy of the first creation that we live and experience and we smell and see and hear and taste is that we lose good. Or in some situations, we have to accept the loss of the good that should have been but never was. Our experience in this first creation is marked by tears, by loss. I just recently watched a documentary, and I won't say the title because it's, uh, I don't want to give away, you know, the ending. Um, but it was a documentary where there was a surprising death. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you've already saw it, so there's no spoiler, it's there. But there's a surprising death, and the mother was reflecting on the loss of her son. And she said, when we lose, it is like something was suddenly wrong in the moment of loss with the universe. And not, and not how it should be anymore. She said, we, we had to move to another place and learn how to live there. And so the interviewer was asking, well, how, how are you doing? And she said, it's day to day. It's day to day. The reality is that death has so marked our experience in this first creation. And death then becomes the space to unravel all the loss that has happened in addition. Many of us feel the loss of our loved ones. Many of us feel the loss of a dream. Many of us feel the loss of feeling unseen. When I was a child, I remember two deaths, and then when I became a young adult at 19, a death of my dad. All three deaths, I lost five or six years old my mother's father, my grandpa. 
I lost my uncle, her, my mother's brother, um, when I was probably upper elementary, and then lost my dad when I was 19 years old. And every single one of those losses, when I let myself process them, it feels as close as today. I remember even just as a little kid, for the first time with the loss of my grandpa, just so confused. It, feel, it felt like the beauty of who he was shouldn't have been lost. My uncle, I remember my family talking about his personality and his goofiness, and it was so ironic to me because he was gone. I remember the loss of my dad. I was out of the city. I was out of Chicago at the time and flew home for the funeral. And um, I think in general, I'm a pretty unfortunately confident person most of the time. And uh, it was probably the first time in my life where not being there when my dad died and uh, walking into the wake and the last I had seen him was full of life and then just to see his dead body it was so wrong and it's not just the loss of that moment it's the perpetual losses we all experience when we lose someone we loved it's the loss of my children never knowing him it's the loss of a 19 year old Young man not having a dad going into marriage and being a father and a husband. The losses are piled on each other when we lose. The First Nations have a translation, the First Nations translation. It's a newer translation of the Bible. And in reflecting on Revelation 21, they talk about tear-wiping ceremony as if there's going to be a liturgical moment in the new creation of God wiping our tears. Our hopes and dreams for the first creation to have another chance can come true. This scene that we have in our text this morning is one of a marriage ceremony. Now, many of us, for some of us, the marriage ceremonies that we've been a part of are wonderful and joyful, and for some of us, maybe more stressful. You know, I don't know what your experience with marriage ceremonies are. Uh, they can be very stressful. But the beauty of this marriage ceremony, where the people of God, as the new city, are talked about as a bride, God adorning his bride coming from heaven to rightfully take the new creation to be married on earth to the bridegroom, Jesus. The beauty of this wedding, though, is that you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. You don't have to worry about the food. You don't have to worry about whether the best wine will be there or not. Jesus will take care of clothing you and presenting you in all the beauty that we potentially can be 
as human beings to be holy and blameless before him. We don't need to worry, worry about what we're wearing. He will clothe us. If he clothes the birds of the field, he will clothe us too. We don't need to worry about the food. He will have abundance for us for this wedding ceremony. And the final culmination of this ceremony comes with during the ceremony, right before the tear-wiping ceremony, is the loud voice saying, Behold, once and for all, the dwelling place of God, heaven, is with man, earth. Heaven and earth are now one. Behold, heaven is with earth. The dwelling place of God is with humanity. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And we will start the tear-wiping ceremony. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. Because the death and the crying and the pain and the mourning of the former things, the first creation, will have passed away. Because he who is seated seated on the throne is saying, I will make all things new. Once again, the story of the Bible gives us hints that God will once and for all not give up Eden. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That was God localizing himself in creation. He wasn't going to leave it. The tabernacle was God's way of localizing himself. He wasn't going to leave it. The temple was God's way of localizing himself. He wasn't going to leave it. Jesus of Nazareth is God's best and final way of localizing himself with creation, he wasn't going to leave it. And so when Jesus ascended back to the Father, he said, it's actually going to be better for you when I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send the new law. I'm going to send my spirit to be on your hearts so that the new place in which God localizes himself is the church. We are the body of Christ. The world around us is supposed to see us not as people with anger and judgment toward them, but the world around us is supposed to see the hope and the joy that's possible in new creation. They want to look at us and see new creation life. A place where there'll be no more death. There is, as the story goes though, 
there is both a place of life and death, that just as the, new crea- the first creation had a possibility for life and death, so the new creation has a possibility for life and a second death. Apart from Christ, there will be a second death to the world. If you are here this morning, and you've never ran to Jesus, I compel you, for the sake of your life, run to Jesus. Simply share with him all your concerns, all your frustrations, all your own brokenness. And he will come unto all who are weary and heavy laden and give rest. Rest isn't something earned. Rest is a gift to creation for those that rely on Jesus. In closing, I just want to read a song that I think is such a beautiful picture of the tension of the first and second creation by Josh Garrels. Many of you may know him. O day of peace. He says, O day of peace that dimly shines right now. Through all our hopes and prayers and dreams, guide us to justice, truth, and love delivered from our selfish schemes. May swords of hate fall from our hands, our hearts from envy find release. Till by God's grace our warring world shall see Christ's promise reign of peace. Then shall the wolf dwell with the lamb, nor shall the fierce devour the small. As beasts and cattle calmly graze, a little child shall lead them all. Then enemies shall learn to love. All creatures find their true accord. The hope of peace shall be fulfilled. For all the earth shall know the Lord. At this time, I want to invite the band to come on up as we begin to start communion. Communion is like what happens on Friday before the wedding on Saturday. Communion is the rehearsal. We have the opportunity as the people of God to regularly throughout the year prepare for the wedding. The whole point of the bread and wine is that as often as we eat and drink it, what do we do? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so communion is a meal of thanksgiving, a meal of communion, and a meal of joy and hope. The Lord's table is a meal of thanksgiving because we're thanking God for his creative and redemptive work. It is a meal of communion because the triune God's sharing of life and love draws us into communion with him and each other. It is a communion with the crucified and living Christ who is God's gift to the first creation. It is a meal of joy and hope. In eating and drinking, we proclaim that God the Father, through the life, death, and resurrection of his Son, 
and the power of his spirit is reconciling the world to himself. God has provided in Jesus, his son, the food for the feast and his body and blood. At this moment, I'm going to hand out the elements to the band. And while I do that, please take time to share with your sympathetic high priest your tears, your tears of loss, your tears of grief, your tears of pain, your tears of anger, knowing that he will wipe every tear.